Welcome to the Stuck in Rut Podcast. Got him. Dropped him. Nice shot, buddy. We are excited to bring you our stories and hunting tips to elevate your outdoor adventures and experiences. We aim to uncover the real, raw strategies of do-it-yourself hunting that will bring your dreams to life and generate success. To follow along with our yearly hunts, subscribe to Stuck in the Rut on YouTube. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today we're bringing on Phil Schneider. This is our dad, the guy that taught us how to hunt, the guy that taught us how to work hard. He is 60 years old and he is still working as hard as he was when he was 20. This guy is just an incredible man all around and he's one of our biggest influences when it comes to getting us into hunting, um, teaching us how to work hard, teaching us to just have that never quit attitude that we can go further, that we can go longer, that we can do anything that we put our mind to and he really has some good life advice in this podcast as we talk to him so we hope you get to know more about our dad and, and how we were raised and why we are the way that we are with this episode with Phil. It's like you guys have been working hard, making some money. Yeah, I'm working two jobs. Tell, tell us what you do for work. We're doing fire prevention, grinding up brush. Dad's specialty has always been making property as pretty as it can be. He used to do it logging, and now he does it with mulching, doing fire reduction. And it, people call it parking out property, and that's what he does. Does a good job at it. Looks like a park when he's done. Is the best at it. Yeah, actually, now I'm, I'm doing a job for a guy. He wants shooting lanes cut out on his property to for hunting season. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's kind of like a wagon wheel. He's going to have his blind is that he's going to put 10 feet off the ground and then have shooting lanes going nice. there. Cool. Nice. Yeah, he's got some big plans. Good. Well, dad, thanks for joining us on our podcast episode today. I wanted to do this for a couple of reasons. One being that for some reason, everybody on Instagram, YouTube, everyone wants dad on a podcast. Like, <laughs> they see us, but they know right? Phil is the real deal. So they want to hear about it. Poorly spoken one of the bunch. <laughs> no, you're just the best. And then yeah. some people asked you some questions too. So um, first of all, can you tell us kind of about your upbringing, your childhood, maybe how you got into hunting and why you really started hunting? Oh, I don't know much about my child. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. <laughs> don't want to hear about his childhood, but I do want to hear what inspired him to start hunting. Well, I don't really know. I just lived in Montana, and that's what people did. So. <laughs> you had to shoot a deer if you wanted food. I remember <laughs> the stories of they would get hungry, and they lived up in a little 10 by 10 cabin, and You'd go shoot a deer, so you had dinner. Yeah, it was it was live off the land back then. There was a lot of animals. Yeah, tell us about that. What was it like hunting back then? Well, it was great because there was a lot of animals and no people and no wolves and not a lot of rules and regulations, uh, gates or any of that. So it, it was... We actually had it made, but we were all too busy working to really enjoy it. Now that you can enjoy it, there's not near the animals that there used to be. And one of my favorite stories about dad and uh, one of his friends commented on my Facebook post the other day and reminded me um, about dad. And, you know, people that know him now, he's he's been a successful man over the years. He's always a hard worker. He works seven days a week. And... Um, he, he put on that post that, you know, Phil started with living in a 10 by 10 cabin rental with a couple buddies and didn't have any money and started with a pair of gloves, a split and cedar for a living. So, you know, he's made it, made everything on his own and he's got a lot of respect for that. And the one story that always comes to my mind is, uh, dad can cor correct me if I'm wrong, but 
um, when he, he got moved up the act and he just got up there. He didn't have any money for food and he hadn't got a job yet. He wrote his parents a letter and asked them if they could spare, I think it was $5 so that he could buy some potatoes because he was that broke. And he got a letter back in the mail that said, I'm sorry, we just uh, can't afford to do that right now. And I think that's probably explains why he's such a hard worker. And he works seven days a week because he told himself at that day that he's never going to be in that position today like he was to not be able to buy a potato. <laughs> Is that true, Is that Dad? Story? Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, as far as the hunting goes, you know, I just got the kids... Travis is the one that was really the big push. When he was like 10 years old, he'd say, Dad, let's go hunt. If you don't want to go, I'll get somebody else. And so he kind of forced me to go with him all the time. But, but the kids, they blew right past me. They just, they they were fanatics at it. I, I liked to do it, but I wasn't as fanatic as they were. But you have to go at it like it's a job. You're out there to achieve a goal. And so it's kind of turned into a whole kind of a, a man thing where if you don't get, get what you're after, you're, you're not near the man you thought. <laughs> yeah, Dad. Dad puts a lot of pressure on us. Like, we'll be all proud of an animal and be like, oh, well, that, that mule deer would be a nice white tail, but that's not a shooter muley. But, <laughs> like, you didn't get one? What's wrong with you? <laughs> so, but yeah, the kids have really got got to do a lot of hunting and and they kind of caught it right when the wolves were planted which made it pretty tough on them but they they still got a lot of hunting in and so it just takes a lot of hard work to be able to go hunting because everything costs money i remember though being inspired when i was really young um dad was you know he had a crew logging in the woods and he would shut down and go uh to elk camp and take a lot of his crew with him and they'd go bugling bull elk and most of the time they would come home with a with some bulls archery hunting and i just remember like that was probably that some of the highlight of my childhood is just waiting for them to come home from their hunting trip to see what their stories were and just try and visualize you know what took place because i was too young to go at that time and so it was just a lot of inspiration for me to want to experience that when i got old enough too yeah Yes. Well, there was a lot of lot of elk. I mean, there was just tons of elk, and like I said, not many hunters. But we didn't really know what we were doing back then either. We were just learning the bugling thing, and and we screwed up more than we did. And uh, but it was a lot of fun, nonstop action. And then then the wolves. They put the wolf in a '96, and that kind of put a damper on it just about the time the kids were old enough to really do some serious hunting. And it's, it's, they've still done really well, surprising with the wolves, but there's just not near the numbers there used to be. Bad. Phil, did you guys even have elk bugles or did you just use the little copper tubes that you were telling me about and whistle into them? Yeah, most people just used the copper tube. They didn't even sell elk, elk bugles back then. And there was nobody had any reeds or anything, so he just used a piece of copper, copper tube, and rolled it up and just made a high pitch squeal. But usually, there was so many elk bugling, you didn't have to really bugle them. You could just go chase after them and go hunt them. Yeah, yeah. But then also, their bows were a lot lower quality. Where shooting over thirty yards was probably a hard thing to do when they first came out. Yeah, our bows were really sad back then. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Five yards off was the difference between killing it and losing it. Yeah. Did Nowadays, you... new bows, there's a lot less room for error. What gun and did you usually use and hunt with? The worst one you could possibly ever get. It was like a <laughs> 270. <laughs> Pretty much everything ran away you shot with it. It just didn't put big enough holes in them. <laughs> then we shot 375 h and h and and then uh, everything fell down with those things yep. did you have a lot of success archery hunting no we didn't we when we started out there wasn't anybody archery hunting in, in our county and there was just like three of us that were shooting archery and 
and then we started, but we had uh, just the worst bows that money could buy. We had a lot of opportunities. We just had a hard time killing them with the bows that we had. Yeah. And then once we we got to doing it, the, there got to be a little group started up, and then more people got to doing it. And now it's it's just insane. There's so many archery hunters. Back in the day, it was a lot of fun because there was no competition. You were the only guys out there, and you had the, all the woods to yourself, and nobody else archery hunted. And uh, it was a pretty cool deal there for a few years. I remember hearing some stories when you were talking about the elk calls uh, when dad was down in the Clearwater hunting and he met Abe's sons. Um, I think Abe's, I, I don't see his beagles around a whole lot anymore, but when I was a kid, I know Abe's sons was kind of seemed like top of the list for bugles. And dad had met him at the time when they were carving, you know, calls out of a piece of wood and stretching latex gloves. <laughs> um with rubber bands over the piece of wood trying to make bugle sounds so it's kind of cool to see that um everything evolved with all how all the calls and stuff would come around yeah and they killed a lot of nice bulls too they were really good with their calls and that was before primos or any of these other ones came out and uh, i don't know what what happened with them because it was one of the best calls out there for I, th I still think it is one of the best calls. Yeah, I still use it. Evidently, the marketing just wasn't there for them or something. And Primo's kind of seemed to take over. But now that now everything's getting pretty call-wise. I actually still use the original Abenson's grunt tube. Had it, I mean, for 20 years. And I just put different, uh, you know, I'll use the Primo's sometimes or the Phelps um reads and just always use that grunt tube it seems to have the most throaty sound still like it to this day that was one of the first ones that came out yeah and they were just a bunch of loggers off the coast out of coos bay oregon and and they just liked elk hunting and they they just kind of got into it and, and tried to develop their own call and to my knowledge they were one of the first ones out that had a call that really worked well but pretty cool bunch of guys yeah i just can't imagine i mean it's probably similar to how alaska is with you know you don't see a lot of people there's a lot of land a lot of animals you aren't just running into four-wheelers and pickups everywhere um but along with that just the technology has changed like you said with the archery stuff and with the calls everything's changed so much what other well, changes have you seen as far as hunting and how it's evolved? Well, every year there's way more hunters than the previous year. And and so that's that's the biggest thing. Now there's so many hunters and they just keep taking up more space. And it's really hard to get away from hunters anymore. Just, just in Idaho, I think there's an extra 30,000 hunters a year over the previous year. And so, I mean, it just keeps growing every year with the population. So that's uh, a lot more hunters out in the bush, a lot more competition, a lot yeah. more hardcore hunters. There, there never used to be any hardcore hunters. They were just hunt from the pickup types of hunters. And now, now there's a lot of hardcore hunters that get way out there. Did you find a lot of sheds back then too? Uh, we never really looked for them. We'd, we'd find them logging, but we never picked them up or anything. Just, you know, we just kind of run them over. But we never really looked at that time of year. You know, there was, there was a lot of sheds out in the brush fields, but we were, we were always logging. So we were in virgin timber where you're not going to find any sheds. And we just never went shed hunting till actually Travis is the one that started that when he was young, he started finding some moose sheds and it just turned into an obsession. And uh, we were finding a lot of paddles and it was a lot of fun, but you got to go at that certain time of year. Yeah. Follow them around kind of like you guys do there to, to get the good ones. There's not that many moose anymore, so there's no sheds to find. So. Did you see a lot of moose back then when you were hunting a lot? 
Yeah, there was moose everywhere back then. They were running down the highways, down the roads. You couldn't hardly drive anywhere without seeing moose. Wow. Crazy. You were standing in the Ack River when you drive up the Ack and just, they, they were just everywhere. There was, there was tons of moose. Not That's anymore. It's changed a lot. Travis, what's one of your earliest memories hunting with dad? I was thinking about that when we were talking and he took me up. I was probably, I would guess nine or 10. And I had been practicing, you know, on one of those, I think it was an Abenson's bugle and, and he took me up to call for him. And I think he just took me up just to get me out and take me hunting. I was begging him to, but we actually got into a bowl and, um, it was just really exciting. I was back calling and I, dad went and got set up and, uh, he called this bull in and he didn't get it, but it, you know, I could hear the bull crashing and it was just a close, it was basically a close call. And I just remember thinking how neat that was to be that close. And, um, I think one time I remember too, going down when he went down with his logging crew to the clear water and, um, I didn't go hunting with him, but I could, you know, they would go over the hill and, uh, me and mom would be back at camp and we could hear the elk bugling down there from camp. So I feel like, uh, you know, dad, he works really hard and he, the, it seems like the time that he took to spend with his kids was fishing and hunting. And so that's why we just kind of took to it. That was the best time we had with him when we were out hunting. Phil, you came kind of from the Midwest and then you went up the yak um, and started logging and stuff. How was that transition to going up there with all the animals and huge timber and everything yeah it was pretty cool it was like going back in time you know there wasn't hardly any people we didn't have television where we lived or radio so you didn't really know the news and there was just tons of logging going on a couple hundred loads a day coming coming out of there and and it i i find it found it pretty amazing that you could buy old growth timber from the forest service and and go out and cut it and take it and sell it at the mills. And, and so I just, I, I got started in that and just really enjoyed it. And, and there was pretty good money in it compared to, to other things. And uh, you're always working outside and, and you see a lot of animals cause you're out there with them every day, drive to work at first light and you see critters everywhere. And then, Usually on your on your logging jobs, there's a lot of animals eating the moss and stuff in the winter time, and so you see ton tons of animals. So you kind of kind of just mix in your hunting with working. You know, during hunting season, you just start packing guns with you, and <laughs> you get a wild hare, you go take off and go chase something, and it is a lot of fun. A lot of back in those days, like I said, there wasn't many rules. So, so you didn't have a lot to worry about. No gates. You could, couldn't get in any trouble. You can go wherever you wanted to. Yeah. And believe it or not, we don't even think twice about four wheelers now, but I remember, um, you know, three wheelers were out and didn't you buy the first Suzuki four wheeler like locally that yeah, I had the first one. Heard it was coming. Heard that four wheelers basically got invented. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that story. <laughs> yeah, I ordered it six months before it came out. I think Suzuki was the first one with one out. And then I had the only four wheeler in the in the whole county, and I could go wherever I wanted to. There was no rules. And man, you never seen so many jealous people. I. <laughs> Load a whole elk on that thing and just drive it down out of any old mountain road. And that was a two-wheel drive. And, uh, or a rear-wheel drive. Yeah, rear-wheel drive. But yeah, then everybody started buying them, and then all of a sudden there's gates and rules, and you can't leave the road. It kind of took the fun out of that. Yeah, it seems like the more technology that comes out, every every piece of cool technology that comes out comes rules with it. So yep. It just well, all the going. new technology too makes hunting a lot more difficult. Yeah. Everybody out there that doesn't know their their way out of the woods, they all have GPSs now, so they can go wherever they want without getting lost. Yeah. Those people used to die, and 
<laughs> Survival of the fittest. Take out the weak, Phil. Yeah, nobody, that's why everybody, well. everybody was a road hunter. They, they get lost. <laughs> that's true. Nobody knew their their way around. Just, yeah, different world now. Everybody's got a cell phone and and they're out there in the woods looking at their phone, knowing where they're they're at. And like he said, um, you know, five yards would make a difference of uh, an elk getting away or not. I mean, even when I was a kid, you know, without rangefinders at all the archery shoots, I was always impressed with shooting with dad and all of his friends that um you know, they could guess the yardage basically to the yard or within a couple yards. And, um, you know, now we're also reliant on rangefinders. Most of us hardly even practice, you know, trying to guess the yardage out to 50 yards anymore. Yeah. I mean, I even remember doing that as a kid with you guys at archery shoots. We didn't use rangefinders. We would guess the yardage. We would I mean, most of the time, maybe you helped me, but you'd be like, nope, figure it out. (laughs) You guess the yardage and shoot. So it's just crazy how reliant we are now because now I'll look at it and be like, oh, that's 50 yards like my bear last year. It looked like it was 30 and it was 50 yards. You know, I want to practice more without that technology. And Probably the thing I miss most about hunting when I was younger is you could buy a, a tag in any state and you could go wherever you wanted. They didn't have hunting units and all that breakdown to where you could only hunt in a certain area. Oh, really? So if you bought a Montana tag, you could go hunt any unit in Montana. And Idaho was the same way. And, and then it wasn't until all the people started hunting that they changed that. And so many areas they had to start uh, changing it for management. That's I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine if it was like that now. Weren't the seasons a lot longer too, Phil? For archery and rifle? Than you guys have? Seasons were shorter. Oh, and really? they actually did a way better job of managing wildlife back then. I, I can remember elk season in Idaho was, was uh, like 10 days long. Oh, wow. And you could shoot cows like part of it. I think the first three or four days you could shoot cows or bulls and then and then 10 days it was over and uh, so they all had a really good chance you know there wasn't that much pressure on them and now they've just turned money into a money game so they keep having more seasons and look at Colorado they have seasons on top of seasons but they just try and get more revenue out of it it's all money for them isn't it and they're they're over hunting about everything, you know. They 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 they've done the worst job of managing, as far as I can tell. We don't have near the numbers of anything, and I mean some of it's the wolves, but some of it's poor management too. Yeah, I've gone to the meetings before, and I've told the fishing game that as well. I said I I like to hunt as much as anybody, and if there's a hunting season, I'm going to be out there hunting. But I was like, there's there's too much. Like the a lot of the elk. I mean, they don't have a chance, really. If you, if you're a dedicated hunter, you you're most likely going to get a chance at an elk because you can hunt all of September for archery, and then you get a couple weeks in rifle season, and then if you don't kill them, then you can hunt again with a muzzleloader in December when they're down in the field. It's just like that's too much. That's too much time for people to be chasing the elk around, in my opinion. Or the two tags. I mean. We've all bought yeah, two elk tags, but you can buy the A tag, which is all archery, and then go and buy a B tag so you don't have all the rifle. So yeah, you could, exactly. if you can have the best of both worlds and you could potentially kill two elk. And then they just get pounded. Right? As soon as the B tag guys are done, then the A tag guys are off fresh, and then they go pound them again. It's just, they're, they're really hunted for about, you know, off and on for three months, and it's just too much, I think. But Yeah, they're always running. They just keep giving more opportunities. They're all, Idaho's about opportunities. Yeah. Hey, Phil, can you kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about the logging industry and why you got out of it and kind of how that's changed? I find that pretty, pretty interesting from a career as a logger. Yeah, logging used to be a really good way to make money. And now it's actually the technologies has, has gotten so good to where you can move a lot of wood 
but it's turned into a money game to where it takes so much money and equipment to even play the game anymore. And um, there's just not the volumes there that, that can support it. We don't have the mills to support uh, the number of loggers anymore. So we're kind of, kind of at a point to where some, some of the loggers need to drop out and either that or, you know, fight to stay on top. And, and there's just no money in it anymore. There's not, there's not the competition of mills that we used to have. We used to have 18 mills and now we have two left. And so they kind of have a monopoly. And so they just, they keep it whittled down to where, to where there's no money in it. So we kind of got out of it. I mean, it's probably still a great way to make a living in a lot of areas, but, but in this area, we, we just uh, don't have enough mills anymore with all, and it's because of all the environmental stuff. You know, all the rules and regulations that they put on, they actually hurt the environment when they help it. We used to have really healthy stands of timber and now all the federal timber is just dying and falling down. You can't hardly crawl through it. We have a lot of bug, bug disease because of not salvaging a lot of that timber. And, and so, and then, in, and they wouldn't let go of the forest, the federal timber. So, so we had to log the private really hard. We used to have beautiful private timber and, in this area and, and it's all getting managed well. I mean, the, the private is, but there's not enough of it to keep the mills going. So they need that federal timber. And so that's why we're down to two mills left. There's just not enough timber for, for the comp competition. Yeah. yeah and I, um, oh, a couple of thoughts on that as well. I just think there was a lot of opportunities back in the day and I, I felt like um, dad kind of had it figured out there and too bad that it's not still going, but you know, back then you could, I watched him when I was a kid, buy some property and you could buy a piece of property and you could log it and take enough timber off it to pay for the property. And he would do a really beautiful job and park it out and make it really nice. And then he would resell the property. And those days are just far gone. I mean, the property prices are 10 times what they were. And I remember this winter I was taking some logs off my property and I told dad what I was getting for lumber prices. And he's like, that's the same price that I was getting in the eighties as you are here in you know, 2020 with all this inflation and everything, you're still getting the same price for logs, wow. even worse in some cases. So basically the, like you said, the technology, the production, people have to produce, you know, 15 loads a day to make the same amount of money as he used to probably produce, you know, four loads a day with chainsaws. And um, so it's just kind of a- Yeah, the only people making game. money are the equipment companies and, uh, and fuel companies off of, off of it. There's, you don't see many rich loggers. It's yeah. just survival. Yeah, and that's kind of why I got into building houses is I was looking around, dad was, he was already could see the writing on the wall that the logging wasn't as good as it used to be and was looking for another avenue with the mulching. And um, I just start, I just looked at, you know, what all of our friends were and all the dad's friends that were loggers. And these guys were in their seventies, you know, a lot of his, you know, when dad was even younger and these guys looked almost dead and they're out there still having to log, but trying to make their equipment bills and make their equipment breakdowns. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't want, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> I'm going to figure out a different plan here. <laughs> there is no retirement. Yeah. Hopefully work till you the day you die. Yeah. <laughs> tip over out in the woods <laughs> and move on. You know, and it's a lot of hard work. You're up at, you know, three o'clock in the morning, drive for a long time, work 10 hours and drive home. It's not the greatest family life either. Yeah, it's a tough way to make 11. It's still but so it important, though. Yeah, it is important. We all use the timber and I don't know what I do. I mean, I, I was thinking about that the other day, either logging or building houses with lumber products. I don't know what my purpose in life would be if I lived somewhere there wasn't it wasn't timber industry. 
Yeah, if, if logging was still good like it used to be, we'd all be logging up a storm right now. It's because I enjoy it and I'm good at it. I just there's just no money in it. Doesn't matter if you're good at it if you can't make any money at it. Just yeah. go do something else you're good at. Yeah. But it's tough with all the environmental rules. By the time they jump through all the hoops to put the timber up for sale, it's too far gone to make boards. And so they just leave it out there. There's nothing they can do, just let it go. Just yeah. too many rules and regulations. It's crazy how it's changed, but can you touch on logging and why it's important? Because I think a lot of people don't understand the importance of logging, how it actually helps habitats. A lot of people think it's just destroying everything and the creeks and the streams and the woods and the animals. So what what do you say about that to kind of educate people on why logging is important? Yeah, most people just don't realize that, you know, the clear cut, clear cutting logging, that's what where all the brush and stuff comes back in and all the new feed. And until we started doing heavy logging in this area, there never was any elk in this country because they had no food source. So once they started doing some logging and started getting some feed up there, and the fires do the same thing. If you have a fire go through, you don't utilize the wood. You just burn it all up. But you need wood wood products for survival. So. So you can have the best of both worlds. And and actually the Forest Service was doing a, a great job until all the environmental rules choked them out. And uh, I mean, they know how to do it right. They just aren't allowed to do it that way anymore. I just love how, you know, most of the people that fought um, all this, envir- you know, all the environmental stuff that went on and all the people that fought these timber sales and stuff, they all live in a stick frame house that is built from timber. I mean, that's so, that's so hypocritical to me. If, you, if you're going to protest logging, you, I guess you need to go build a straw bale house. You don't be protesting logging and living in a house that's built out of timber. <laughs> well, people don't realize how fast trees grow back. You know, I mean, I could have grown and cut three cuts of timber in my lifetime so far grown it from scratch and cut it and sold it and grew it three three different generations of it yeah it grows really fast if you do it right and uh, most of the ground that private timber companies own is just beautiful stands of timber where they clear cut it and replanted it and then you look at the Forest Service timber right next to it, and it's the most unhealthy timber. And, you know, that's where all the disease comes from is all the downed trees that don't get salvaged. Isn't that a big fire hazard, too? I mean, those big old growth stands don't burn nearly as well as all those brush and sticks laying all over the ground. Yeah. It's just nasty, right? Yeah, it's it's just people just need to get educated about logging. There is no downside to it. I mean, it's all good if you do it do it right and and if you don't do it mother nature is going to burn it anyway and then you're going to have all kinds of erosion and problems and then you you can't control it and manage it as well either i just remember i'm not going to mention any names i remember the biggest enviro that we had locally one of the biggest and he was the kind that would protest at the mill and flip off log trucks and was totally anti-logging and this guy was just as enviro as they could get. And when it came down to it at the end, when he decided to move from this county, he had somebody come in and rip his property, strip it, got every dollar out of his timber, and then he moved. And I just thought, what a piece of crap. What? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a yeah. That's crazy. Um, somebody asked what dad does to stay mountain ready. What do you do to stay in shape, dad? I go to the gym when it's open. Dad's still, yeah, when he's doing his fire reduction, he does a lot of chainsaw work and he's just, I think he also has genetics on his side and he's given that to Tom and I and Tana as well. He's got, I, I do lots of cardio. I either genetics. chainsaw cardio, thinning and pruning. Or uh, go to the gym after work every 
I, I usually go to the gym five or six nights a week, usually. And you guys got a lot of drive. How old are you, Dad? In your 60s? Something like that. 60 something. I think he's 60. Pushing 70. No, he's 60. Don't age yeah. him. <laughs> he, uh, this guy can still thin trees above his head for 10 hours a day or longer. So he's. You just got to keep moving. That's yeah, the secret. Moving. You can't just start feeling like an old man or looking like one. He's had his, you know, elbow hurt over the years and his knees hurt over the years, but he's pushed through the pain and then they heal up. He's I'm probably in better shape than most 20-year-olds. You probably you know? are because you're physically yeah. active all day long. Every day. Every day. You can't stop. You take a day off, you just want another day off. <laughs> <laughs> you never take a day off and you don't miss it. We got that hardworking mentality from you. Like if we'd be watching a movie or something during daylight hours and dad came home, like you better get to work and look like you're being productive. <laughs> uh, if, we, yeah, if we saw dad pull up and we were watching a movie, the movie went off and we start grabbing brooms and something <laughs> looked like we were doing something. <laughs> <laughs> they don't be sitting inside on yep. a sunny day. Get outside, hurry. Yep. Funny thing is that's how I parent now. So you you did it you right. Guys, you guys are the ones that are killing it up there. Everybody's just wishes they were you. Everybody wants to be Tan and Adam. Adam is just the stud of Alaska. It's a pretty I mean, big stud. We show just on Adam. Oh man, you I don't can. know about that. They're going all the time. Adam oh, knows man. what it's like to not sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A lot of money in Avgas, but I mean, I just feel like we're, like Tana said, we're living in when you were growing up, Phil. It's that's what it is. It, yeah, I, I tell you what, enjoy every minute of what you're you're doing right now because in your lifetime you're going to see people not be able to do some of the stuff. I know, doing. and I see the writing on the wall, and I see it's going to change, and hunting's just becoming more about the money and high dollar, and I just hate that. And I want my kids to have these opportunities that I read about an outdoor life and field and stream and only dreamed about you know that's why i feel like we're maybe we're just so crazy and we're always gone and we can't pay off bills because we're spending on avgas because i feel like we're playing catch up and it's still like you don't even want to tell people it's just because it's so good but i don't mind it's like we're doing this podcast because where we are is you just got to do it whether you can afford it or not <laughs> i know the animals too it's almost like being on private land because you're going to some super remote places and you know a high age class moose is seven to nine years old and he's maybe never seen an airplane he's seen airplanes fly over never seen a person you know so yeah. it's not it's like an elk that's never heard an elk bugle every elk bugle he's heard has been an elk so when a moose hears a moose call it just comes walking in because that's what happens yeah. and uh i wouldn't call it easy but man it sure is it sure is pretty incredible. That's why we're trying to capitalize on it and enjoy it while it lasts. And hopefully, well, hopefully your granddaughter is going to be shooting a brown bear with Tana pretty soon. That sounds pretty exciting. Yeah. Lots, lots of guns and lots of bullets. And Tana's bear fence. Bear spray and bear fences. Yeah, that's the worst part. You've got to sleep out there with those things. Yeah. Speaking of, have you had any predator encounters, Dad, other than the one that you were with me and those grizzlies came at us? Oh, uh, yeah, we've had some cougars come in and stuff, but nothing real serious. Um, probably those grizzlies that you and me had running at us. That was about as spooky as it gets right there. Yeah, what was going through your head on on that one? Uh, I'm not sure what was going through. That happened so fast. And they just kind of ran right by us. But, uh, yeah, that would have been interesting. They they come, they can sure run fast. Yeah, so we were walking on this skid trail, just kind of doing some early morning elk hunting. And Dad had his tag. And I, I think I was already tagged out, maybe. I can't remember. But we were hunting. I think November, so it was frosty, cold morning, and I was like, oh, I'll bring my pistol just in case. He had a rifle. Did you have three bullets? Yeah, three bullets. I didn't bring my pistol. Yeah. I kind of wished I had it. You, you had your rifle. I had my pistol, and we didn't walk very far, and we 
came up on these grizzlies and we just saw one at first and we're looking at it like what is that and dad pulls up his gun and he's like it's a bear and then pretty soon she stands up and these cubs pop out behind her and they just come full bore right at us and we're like oh shoot and he's got his gun out and i have my gun out we're just waiting to (laughs) get close to i don't know protect ourselves and then they just it was like a false charge they just veered off and ran by us it was the craziest thing yeah, they couldn't have been 10 yards from us where they ran into the brush. It was pretty spooky. I just took off running. <laughs> Dead run back to the pickup. <laughs> they came so fast, you wouldn't have, you, you might have been a, able to get a shot off, but I don't even know if you could have hit her. She came so fast. And it wasn't but just one. Was it was her, cub, her two-year cubs. She just didn't know what we were. Kind of weird. Reminds me of your story, Trav. I had a uh, three or four big caribou sheds in my pack the other day, and Tana says, "If you see a bear, drop your pack." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to hear Trav's story about his bear. Adam has more scary stories than anybody I bet with predators. Well, that try it did try and bite through the tent on Trav's side, so I wasn't wasn't really too concerned about that on the sheep hunt but it still freaks me out probably next hunt travis probably gonna tap me on the shoulder real real aggressively adam adam wake up and he did that (laughs) he did that after that happened the next day and i was i came out of i came out of my sleeping bag just roaring ready to kill something (laughs) (laughs) we've had cougars come into elk calls you know they'll come in and usually once they see you they they run away Tom was a predator magnet of the family. We'd all hunt and we wouldn't have hardly any issues. And Tom would go out and I swear every time, every, every, every other time he was either calling in a cougar or a black bear would stand up in front of him or a grizzly would come under his tree stand. He was, we called him the predator magnet when he was in high school. He still yeah, is. He always ran into predators. Wolves. He had wolves come after him and try to bite him. <laughs> He's had all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> yep. Happened to him. Oh man, yeah, it's interesting. We used to we used to tell him he was telling stories, but now that he gets video of everything, he's he's actually telling the truth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I know we've both learned, and all of our us kids have learned how to work hard from you. I think you started us working from the time we were like five, you know, child labor. But what <laughs> what was your, I guess, goal of how you wanted to raise your kids? What did you want to teach them the most? Just hard work or what? Oh, yeah. Just teach them how to work work hard. I didn't want them to all be freeloaders. <laughs> and, uh, and you guys have all been hard workers. You've, you've all turned out. We kind of wondered about Trevor for a little while. <laughs> He popped right out of it. <laughs> he's, not, he's an awesome hard worker now. Makes Everybody more than work, anyone. Work hard, play hard. That's our motto. We we work hard and play hard. I think with I think one of the best things that dad did as a parent to all of us kids, um, compared to a lot of my friends with dads, is he instilled confidence in us. If we had an idea like, Hey dad, what do you think if I do this? Or what do you think if I start this business, he would just be like, if you want to do it and it's important to you, I think it's a good idea. You should do it. You'll be good at it. And so it just gave us all a lot of drive. You know, I started a construction business when I was young and then I started stuck in the rut a couple of years later. And we've all kind of got, we've all kind of had our own business and been um, entrepreneurs in a way. And I, you know, if dad, I know if he would have been like, no, that's a stupid idea. You shouldn't do that. You're not good at that. You know, we wouldn't be where we are. It was that confidence that he put in all of his kids that basically this life is whatever you make out of it. If you want to work hard and do it, then you need to go do it. And um, so I think that's one of his strong qualities. And, you know, I see parents to this day that um, put their kids down and don't give them that confidence. And I just kind of cringe when I see that it's like, you got to give your, you got to give your kids confidence. I know none of us would be where we're at, um, without that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I was even telling a friend that the other day. One thing I love about my parents is no matter what choice you make, they always encourage you to just go do it. They were never like, oh, that's stupid. Oh, that's a bad <laughs> idea. Like always very encouraging, always yep, I like it. And even if it was a dumb idea, like we learned our lesson, <laughs> but but they would support it either way. Everything's a learning experience in life. Nobody really knows what they want to be when they grow up. You just kind of jump around and find what suits you. Do what you love to do. Yeah, you kids all turned out really well. You've, you've all surpassed anything I have ever expected of you <laughs> what did you expect it's <laughs> a good quality that he always kind of taught us the value of a dollar at a young age he always would provide work for us if we needed it because he was always a busy guy working but he always um he paid us by the hour so it's kind of jippo you you get what you're willing to put in. If you want to work two hours, you get paid for two hours. If you want to work 10 hours, you get paid for 10 hours. And that just taught us the value of a dollar. You know, it took a lot of hours of work to, to earn a hundred dollars when we were young to be able to buy, um, you know, a partial gun or whatever we were working for. And then he would have us, you know, we bought our, all of our rigs on our own to begin with and stuff like that. So I think that was also a good move is just teaching us the value of a dollar instead of, you know, he, he could have just bought things for us and <clears throat> we would have been expected to work, but actually having the dollars go through our fingertips. Yeah. Um, I think it was a valuable lesson for all of us kids growing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all good life lessons, but yeah, you have to live life. You know, I mean, life is too short. Life goes real fast. And that's why I love being uh, like you guys are doing with all your Alaska adventures. You know, you got to do it when you're young because life flies by you so fast that, I, I mean, I feel like I'm 30 years old. I don't know what happened to the last 30 years. Is that it goes by, the, the last 30 goes way faster than But you just got to stay busy, make every day count. You never know when it's going to be your last one. So you don't want to take a day off because that could be your last day. Yep. <laughs> Never take a day off. I, I'm i trying to think. What was the only time that we went on any sort of vacation or dad would take a day off? Was it mainly at shed hunting? Yeah, we never did the vacation thing much. We went to Alaska once to visit Travis. We would go shed hunting or go in the mountains. But other than that, we never went on a vacation. We never did anything because dad was always like, we live in the most beautiful place. Why <laughs> leave it? He drove us to Edmonton theme park when we were young. Oh, that's true. Park. Oh, yeah. That was a vacation. Yeah, and you guys don't even remember it. I did. I, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I broke my tooth in the wave pool. Oh, that's right. Half yeah. of my front tooth is fake. That's right. No, I wasn't a very good dad when it comes to vacations. Everything we did was hunting we had any time off we were hunting well apple doesn't far from fall far from the tree for, for the rest of yep. us <laughs> and usually we were packing i mean it, it's if you went hunting you went packing the next day anymore it's a lot harder to kill animals we have a lot of dead days but we went back when it was still good going we were always packing meat yeah, it was so much fun there for a few years when it was good, and we we finally kind of got the hunting thing figured out. Where, like you said, I was I was focused on finding a pack that I could pack meat on because most of the time I had meat on it. We were packing meat, exactly what he said. And now it's a whole lot of just packing my pack around. <laughs> yeah, we don't pack near the meat we used to pack. We do a lot of take our guns for walks and our bows for walks in mm -hmm. the woods. And Sometimes I leave my bow in the pickup. I just go for a walk. And look. <laughs> I'm not going to need a bow for anything. So. I'm not going to carry this thing all the way. Carry that stupid thing. But when we were younger, you know, Adam's realizing this. He's seeing it. I never understood it until I had kids. Um, when we were younger, I felt like, you know, most of the years dad would get his elk and he'd get his deer and we'd fill our freezers and then. Um, it seemed like as soon as we became hunting age, 
he just he just kind of was been there done that he had his his pile of antlers from over the years and you know if he'd see an animal we're like dad why don't you shoot it he's like oh you why don't you guys go up there and try and get it he kind of he just you know turned it over to the kids which i have a lot of respect for and i know that you know i'll do that when my kids become hunting age it's it's about yeah, well you'll get about more them. enjoying that and out of montana when their kids get old and you know i mean well, Katrina, she might get a bear next week. You never know. Ten footer. It's pretty or, cool. You get more enjoyment out of watching your kids kill stuff and uh, just being a part of it. You know, it's it's all good times. Even the, even the bad trips are still good times. You know, they're a lot of work and a lot of sweat, but but in the end, it's all good memories. And you just got to do it. You just got to keep going. So that one day that you don't go, that's the day that you probably would have got him. Yep. Yeah, you always told us you're not going to kill anything sitting on the couch. You got <laughs> to get, get out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, get out there. Some of my fondest memories is hunting Alaska with you. Not Maybe not the time that you got hypothermia, but um, <laughs> just like even fishing with you in Alaska has been a lot of fun. But what did you think of moose hunting up here? Because you did that when you were 50. How old were you? 53? I don't know. Somewhere in that. No, moose hunting is fantastic. We had a great trip. Weather was horrible. <laughs> Bugs were horrible. <laughs> but it was a great trip. It was a great trip. We almost died many, many times over. <laughs> I told him, and I mean, I know I've actually had a lot of questions on that. Like a lot of people are like, should I take my dad hunting in Alaska? And I just, I, I seriously remember thinking just, I have to take dad to Alaska on a moose hunt before the guy dies. You just never know. You <laughs> never know. You I want never know. of hunting in Alaska with my dad. And I'm super. It was a great memory. I'm super glad us. that we did it. It was, that was probably yeah, one of the I'm fun glad. It's not for the week. You got to be tough to go in Alaska. Oh, yeah. It'll break you. Little animals are twice as big as the moose down here. And they're just, you don't, you don't know how big they are until you actually kill one of the dang things. I just feel like the uh, <laughs> the air service we went with, they didn't know what to think because, um, you know, we were calling them every other day with another moose that they needed packed out. and when we got out, they were all just a little shocked. They're like, we flew out, you know, I forget 20 groups of hunters, maybe every group or maybe just a couple groups killed one. And then they're like, you guys killed all three. How did you all three tag out? And it's like, well, we had to pack them a long, long ways. And they're like, well, yeah, nobody packs them more than 150 yards. And it's like, well, that's how we, that's how, why we killed moose. But yeah, um, it wasn't an easy trip. That's for sure. Yeah, it was, it was brutal. It's all worth yeah. it once it's done, but it yeah. sucks. Yeah, most people uh, don't realize how big they are. It's about nine packs to get one moose out. And you can do it in less than that, but you're going to hurt yourself. I mean, you might hurt yourself with nine. <laughs> yeah, we've done you know eight. What? We've done eight before, but yeah, it's rough. Tom, after the first one, we'd have to put the pack on his back standing up because he couldn't bend over and tie his shoes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. we'd, have his, we'd have to tie his boots for him. And then he'd have to be standing up. We'd put a, a 150 pounds on his back, send him down the hill. That really wrecked him, didn't it? Hurt his lower back. He was like oh, going. It was wrecked. Didn't he get his knees pinched back. or something? And he was going over forward. He was going to snap his legs or something. Yeah, I would have broke his leg. I was right right behind him, so I caught him. But yeah, he sank in the mud and he was gonna go over forward and he had two hundred and some pounds on his back that time. And I caught him, but otherwise it would have snapped his leg. But we quit packing that much. That's what hurt his back. And then he had to pack, you know, two and a half more moose after that with yeah. the hurt back. And most people wouldn't even be able to walk, but Tom managed to tough it out. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You guys got three, but it's, you know, people hate Travis in the moment because it's always like one more ridge. Okay, just just one more. Well, let's just see what's right over there. 
And then that's how you end up getting stuff, right, Trev? You get them. It's always that one more race. Yep. <laughs> well, a lot of exercise. But no, it's a lot of fun. That Alaska is brutal, though. There's nothing. It's it's just uncomfortable. Cold, Especially wet, and miserable with big bugs. The bugs, the cold. I mean, you're you're never really comfy. Yeah, it's just hard. To, it's hard to fathom. Like when you go down the States to do a hunt, like, yeah, I haven't drawn anything this year, but I'm thinking, okay, if I did draw this elk tag in New Mexico, I would just get a truck from you guys or just fly down and rent a truck. And then I would just stay at the truck or even stay in a motel. And that's just mind blowing to me that you don't have to bring all your tools. You don't have to bring all your extra survival gear, all that stuff. You would just drive to a place, stop, pull out the spotting scope, Say there's an elk. I want to go shoot it and go shoot it. Tell yeah. me about tell me about the Roosevelt elk in Alaska. Have you looked into that, or is there any size of those elk, or what's it like? No, I've heard their bodies are super big and they're just stacked. They're really big in the body, but the the antlers aren't that impressive anywhere near um, what a Rocky Mountain elk it looks like. So I've uh, I've opted not to hunt those. I mean, you can only do so much, you know um with my job yeah. and have time off so i mean i'm gonna stick to bear sheep and moose in the fall and try and maybe squeak in a goat hunt where i can um but i haven't put in for the elk tags because it's usually wet nasty rainy alders huckleberry brush and stuff down on kodiak and there's some in southeast alaska and i just want to if i'm gonna elk hunt i want to come back and like hunt montana or wyoming where i'm building up some good good number of points yeah yeah i met a guy um uh, oh maybe a year ago that lives locally here that used to live up there and he had a really beautiful bull that he killed off of one of the islands up there i mean it was uh he had a really red rack i remember but it was a big seven by seven head kickers out both sides and it was a really cool bull not not a huge scorer wise but just cool. massive yeah they get heavy well, to kind of close things up here i know it's getting late so we'll let you guys go here soon but dad you've lived a lot of life you've done a lot of things um what would be your one piece of advice to the younger generation like us oh my gosh wear a, <laughs> wear a face mask because of the corona <laughs> right uh, don't do drugs <laughs> yeah <laughs> i don't even know what kind of advice to give kids anymore you guys are going to be left in a huge debt <laughs> yeah yeah all our then, stimulus yeah. yeah this stimulus is this corona thing we got to get rid of it because it's just it's killing the hunting industry it's killing everything so we're screwed is what you're saying <laughs> we have no hope <laughs> no, just no just the younger generation that the biggest thing i would say is you know life is short you got to live it you got to just live every day and that's what you kids have done you make every day count and uh, even you know if you're going snowmobiling or whatever just everybody wants wants to have hobbies and stuff and and uh, you got to have have some goals to work for and so just don't just waste your life life's too short i see too many kids wasting their lives sitting around looking at their stupid phone YouTube and all day and and just not getting anything accomplished. You got to have accomplishments in life to to get any self-worth out of yourself and if you never accomplish anything you you don't don't feel good about yourself. That's my opinion. Yeah, you say say you're a waste of waste of air. <laughs> you don't just want to take up oxygen. You don't want to just you take know. up oxygen. You, no you have to accomplish something every day. <laughs> yep. What a beautiful for something. I mean, enjoy life. Life is precious. It's a gift. And I've enjoyed life. I mean, it's life ain't easy. It's a lot of hard works and hard knocks and and you learn a lot of lessons and wish you had a lot of do-overs. But in the end, you did the best that you could do. That's all you can do. Yep. That's great advice. I'm still waiting for the day that we're going to record the raps that you've written. Yeah. <laughs> You're a lyricist. Uh, uh, don't do my raps. <laughs> Life is too short, Dad. <laughs> still doing the right 
frame of mind when I wrote that. <laughs> I love them because they're about Alaska. You're going to have to get a hold of those somehow. <laughs> okay, well, I better get to bed. My sleepy pill's kicking in. Yeah, good job, you guys. Okay, you guys be careful. Hey guys, Tana with Bristol Bay Fitness talking here. I wanted to let you guys know and remind you that we are about three months away from hunting season. Three to four months depending on where you live, some a little bit less than that. So if you have been feeling like you've been stuck in quarantine, you maybe have put on a few more pounds than you wanted to or you don't feel as active or as in shape as you should be for hunting season, now is the time. Do not wait four to five weeks before hunting to then start hiking, putting a pack on, getting your nutrition dialed. This is something that you should start right now. And I want to let you guys know I have a couple spots open for my coaching. I only take so many people because I do everything very custom. I firmly believe that your life is custom and your program should be too. So you should have a program that's tailored to you that progresses you to your goals. You should have a custom nutrition plan with your background and what your goals are. And so if you want to reach out to me, I'll put the links in the show notes or you can go to bristlebayfitness.com. But what I want to just hone in on is when you have a program that is custom to you, you're going to feel stronger. You're going to feel healthier. You're going to be better prepared for your adventures and even your life. So when you elevate your health, you elevate your life. Look at the show notes. If you want to reach out to me, you can set up a free consult call. We can talk about some things you're struggling with, give you some tips moving forward, or we can set up a full custom program for you to get you in shape and ready for hunting season. That's it for today, everyone. Thanks for joining us. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review and also reach out to us with any questions. Until next time.